1: All right, everybody, what's up? Welcome to the future award-winning talk to Buffalo podcast, where we often highlight but are not limited to Buffalo sports news, media, and entertainment. I am your host, Patrick Moran. You can find me on Twitter, at Pat Tweets. Thank you very, very much for locking into the show today. Got my man, Mike Harrington, longtime veteran reporter and columnist, Over at the Buffalo News, he's going to be on with me. Mike becomes a member of my five-timers club today. Just a handful of people that I've ever had on this podcast at least five times. This will be Mike's fifth appearance on the pod. And for good reason, man. To me, Mike Harrington is a polarizing guy, professionally and personally. Uh, Some Buffalo sports fans love him, frankly. Some can't stand him. One thing that's undeniable though is Mike is without question one of the best sports writers in the business today, certainly in his Buffalo market of ours, and he's been away for a long time, and I really don't give a shit, frankly, what anyone thinks one way or the other about Mike or, or anybody for that matter. That That's my guy, man. He's always been cool with me. We have a great rapport. We've had some good conversations, and today's going to be no exception. Uh, today, we're talking a little bit about... The Toronto Blue Jays playing in Buffalo, what that's been like, covering the games, the fans, the vibe, the environment over at Salem's Field. We talk about all that. Then we kind of switch gears and plummet to some Buffalo Sabres talk. And I'm going to get Mike's takes on many things involving the Sabres, including what he thinks the end results can end up being with Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhardt and Rasmus Rissolane and maybe some other guys. Uh, Mike talked about why he's pretty confident that Don Granados should and will end up being the next head coach. Talk a little COVID stuff in regards to the media this past year because it's been a good year since I've had Mike on this podcast. And we'll talk about some of the challenges professionally that COVID has presented to all these men and women who cover the Bills and the Sabres and other things in Buffalo. Really good stuff. Not going to waste any more time. So let's just jump in right now. Here it is, my conversation with the newest member of the Talking Buffalo Podcast Five Timers Club, my man, Mike Harrington. Mr. Mike Harrington, now a member of the Five Timer Club on this podcast. Fifth time I had you on. Only a small handful of people that I've ever had on five times. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? Mr.
2: Patrick Moran. It is a pleasure to join you again. I appreciate you entering me into that fine club. And yeah, there's really not much going on here lately with the Sabres and the Blue Jays in town and the Yankees coming. And so, you know, there's no summer vacation in these parts.
1: <laughs> Let me ask you this, Mike, and you kind of alluded to two things we're going to focus on in just a couple of minutes. Toronto, obviously playing games in Buffalo. And uh, well, yeah, I guess we'll have to talk Sabres too. It's kind of unavoidable, but Let me ask you this, man, because I feel like you're a pretty honest guy and you'll, you say what's on your mind and it's not necessarily something, you don't say things just because people want to hear them. So I feel like you could be honest out of scale of like one to 10, how much do you actually like doing podcasts and like audio interviews, like for radio and and stuff like that? Obviously it's part of the gig for you today in the, in the world of a sports writer in this day and age, but. I mean, be honest with me, man, though. Do you really enjoy doing interviews? You enjoy doing podcasts? Or is this like part of the gig? Because, you know, to some extent, you have to do it. Like, do you like doing this stuff?
2: Absolutely. I mean, it is part of the gig, but part of the gig is talking and, and communicating with people and doing interviews. And that's one of the things we've lost a lot now due to the pandemic with so much being on Zoom. But, you know, I do radio interviews and podcasts all the time during hockey season, and you you get a little more exposure in different parts of the country, and you just are able to use your skills in a different way. I mean, so many people are used to seeing what you write in the printed word, whether it's in the newspaper or online, and this is just another avenue to get some of your thoughts out there and just have conversations with people, and I can tell you, Pat, the feedback from when I've been on your podcast has been tremendous over the, the the last couple of years. So I certainly appreciate you having me on. And it's like that when I'm on the radio and podcasts in other cities too, people do follow along. They get their links on Twitter and you hear from them and you hear from them about what you've said.
1: How much has the gig, has the gig changed for you? Because you've been doing this for a, a long time now. And I'm sure if this podcast, well, there wasn't a podcast, but if there was, or we were doing a radio show 25, 30 years ago. And I said, Mike, there's aspiring young journalists out there. What's the best advice you'd get them? And you know, you would tell them about the education and getting experience and this and that. But I probably, I would guess that you wouldn't spend a lot of time talking about being able to communicate and doing things like radio and podcasting to, to get your brand out there and to be able to communicate. But now it's just such a big part of the job for not, not just yourself or Lance, who I talk to or Jay all the time from the news, but pretty much any journalist out there if you want to be a sports writer in today's world, you better be prepared to be able to jump on somebody's podcast or, or go on the radio in whatever town you're in and be able to do an entertaining spot. Like the gig's really changed when it comes to that for you, like, you know, over the last, what, 10, 15 years, whatever it may be, isn't it? Absolutely.
2: And you usually, in the old days, you would specialize. You would prepare and educate yourself in one area, whether it was be a newspaper reporter, be on television, be on radio. And now you have to essentially prepare yourself as a multimedia digital journalist. You have to be proficient, obviously, in writing, but you have to be good on television. You have to be good on radio. The people that stand out are the ones that have all those skills. And that would be my advice to anybody now is don't specialize, become proficient in every multimedia skill you can.
1: Last time I had you on, again, this is your fifth time, but it's been, actually, it's been a, a little bit over a year. So last time we talked on the podcast, I mean, me, you and I talk regularly, but on this show anyway, last time we talked, um, working through COVID, and you kind of hit on this a little bit a minute ago, working through COVID like professionally, not personally, but professionally, was still relatively a new thing. Again, this was at the beginning of June. You are just yes. maybe- a couple months in didn't have the Sabres to cover either, because even with the expanded playoffs, they still didn't make it. But anyway, now it's been almost an entire year of working this way. Like how challenging has it been for you professionally now that it appears anyway, hopefully we're trending back towards normalcy soon enough with capacity crowds and hopefully normal media access again, for you know, guys like yourself and who cover the beat full time, like how challenging has it been for you looking back now? Because you've been doing this for, like I said, over a year now. Uh, how challenging has this been for you to be able to do your job? Yeah, it's been tough. It's been terrible at times. There simply are
2: not a lot of those side conversations anymore, and people don't understand when they watch the Zoom interviews. In a normal circumstance, there's all kinds of side conversations you have with players and coaches that don't often appear on TV or in the newspaper. And that helps you know what's going on. And that didn't exist this year with no one in the Sabres locker room. And you're running into that in all sports, uh, you know, running into that with baseball. At least, you're, like you say, things are opening up a little. Tuesday night, the opener against the Yankees in Buffalo is the first time that reporters will be allowed on the field during batting practice. That just changed last week. The Blue Jays were on the road. So I'll be back on the field during batting practice, able to do an interview face-to-face with a a baseball player for the first time in two years. So that's a big thing. That's got to be
1: exciting. Normally it'd be like, all right, that's part of the job. But given everything that's happened over this last year, that actually, on a personal level, that's probably pretty exciting for you. Sure, and it's the first step to getting back in the clubhouse, back in the locker room. They
2: start with interviews on the field outside. It's a huge first step. Uh, You hope to see some of some things like that in hockey going forward in in the fall at training camp, but it's been difficult. Zooms don't really allow for great interviewing. They don't allow for follow-ups and it's not an interview. It's very stilted and and the faster it's blown up into the sun, the better. Do
1: you have any kind of, whether it's a gut feeling or indication at what the timeline might be where Reporters like yourself, again, who cover a beat for a living will actually be allowed in locker rooms and stuff like that. Like you're talking about the field, that's a nice first step. But ultimately, I'm sure you want to be in that locker room on a day-to-day basis like you always have been. Any indication on when that might happen?
2: Well, this is a first a first step in baseball. I really hope that we could be in the clubhouse in baseball before this season ends. I'm optimistic about things advancing in hockey. They have been pretty public about reverting back to the old media rules of 2019 as soon as possible so I'm hopeful next season that'll be the case. Certainly the NFL has already come out and indicated the locker rooms are not going to be open this year, which is a negative for fans and football writers. So I'm optimistic that we're heading down the path to getting back to more access. And on the field with players one-on-one in baseball is a huge first step.
1: Let's talk Toronto played in Buffalo for a few minutes here. So they had their first home stand. I think they played five games in Buffalo. What was the vibe like for you being at the park, covering the games again in Buffalo, the, the fans, like what kind of vibe did you get from the fans? The, the level of excitement that they had, I think there was like 35% capacity for these first uh, batch of games, like somewhere between like 5,300 or 5,500, something like that.
2: Yeah. I was real happy to see the fans really supporting the Blue Jays, and that's why I was hopeful the Blue Jays did not start here against the Yankees, because when they play the Yankees, that's going to be a heavy Yankee crowd. But by starting against the Marlins and Astros, it was a heavy Blue Jay crowd, and they did not get a lot of support at their spring training home in Dunedin, Florida. They had mostly people there rooting for the other teams, rooting for the Phillies and the Yankees and the Rays. So the president, Mark Shapiro, even said they got heckled in their spring training home playing the Rays. So they wanted to get out of there they got here, and I was even surprised by the level of support. The first night against the Marlins, the first inning, Robbie Ray's got two strikes on a batter, and the crowd is cheering and clapping for the third strike. And when Vladdy Guerrero hit his home run, the place just erupted. And the second night, they scored three in the bottom, and the ninth came back, and the players all said, the crowd pushed them through that rally and was very impactful on the game. So I think the crowd has taken to the Blue Jays here even more than I expected. A lot of these guys certainly came through Buffalo. The Yankees, it'll be a different story, but for the most part, it's going to be a Blue Jays home field this summer, and I think the players are very happy with that, and I've been very surprised, and it kind of reinforces what I think, that the Blue Jays have kind of pushed their way up, probably to number two on the ladder here in Buffalo in terms of teams that fans follow.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, I get accused endlessly of being a, a Florida hater, and that's fair because the and Dunedin, all over, the, the fans stink down here when it comes to supporting a team. They don't even support the Rays well. I mean, the Rays are the best team in baseball right, right. now. Previous to this year, they didn't give a shit about Tampa Bay Buccaneers either. The Lightning have been better than those other two teams with fans. But yeah, the support has been because it's just such a transplant state that people are from everywhere else, so they have their teams that they – they follow you know i got a group of friends down here and when we go to watch football games or something everybody's got a different jersey on they're rooting for somebody else you know it's just uh how it is down here but yeah i, I agree with you the yankees come this so this is dropping on tuesday the yankees are going to be in buffalo uh tonight 45% capacity so it'll be around 7000 i feel like toronto's a fun team for, i mean for starters they're they're fun to watch and i, I agree with you I, I think playing in buffalo right now is going to like permanently capture uh, a lot of the younger fans, like maybe the teenagers and, and the guys in their 20s, older people like myself. Like, I'm a, I'm a Yankees fan, I'm a lifelong fan. That's never going to change. Or, you know, like there's Indians fans or Red Sox fans. But I think, do you agree with that? That like the marketing right now and playing these games in Buffalo, that some of the younger fans that really don't have a set allegiance to one team, that this might do it. Like, they might become lifelong Toronto Blue Jays fans because of what's going on in Buffalo right now?
2: Absolutely. I think you're looking at when the Blue Jays return to Toronto, whether it's at some point this year or next year, people will go up there from Buffalo even more than they normally do because of the impact of games here and the chance to see more of Laddie Guerrero, Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, Teoscar Hernandez, guys who came through here in AAA. You have to look at the situation, finding the positives in what's really a very negative situation. This is about the best alternative home the Blue Jays could have asked for. No other major league team is going to want to really share a stadium. And the Bisons really move mountains for them. And, and they got a pretty good deal out of it, too, with the amount of renovation work that's going to be used going forward for AAA baseball. So it's a win-win in a lot of areas. But right now, in terms of playing games, giving this team some semblance of a home, this is absolutely the best alternative they can have if they can't go back to Toronto.
1: We'll start to find out, obviously, tonight. Tonight being Tuesday night, what percentage like of these fans? So I think what we're expecting somewhere around seven thousand. If you had to take a guess right now, and we'll find out soon enough. Like what percentage do you think will be Yankee fans versus Blue Jay fans? Well, you
2: know what, Pat, I do think most of the crowd is going to be Yankees fans because. These are the games you zone in on. The Yankees are here for three games in June. You're going to buy those tickets. If you're a Blue Jays fan, these were priced pretty high. If you're a Blue Jays fan, you've got, you know, 16 more games to buy coming up against Baltimore and Seattle and Tampa and Texas and Boston, and you can avoid the Yankee games. So I do think a little, unfortunately, for the Blue Jays, there's going to be very little support for them in the house in those three nights, simply because of the nature of ticketing. And then it'll go back to the next homestand when they play Baltimore, Seattle, Tampa, completely 100% Toronto crowd. So it's really going to be kind of an interesting dynamic
1: there. I think I read that. I'm not sure if you wrote this in out, but that capacity is going to go up for those games too. Right. The Yankees capacity is
2: 45%. So I'm expecting... 6,800 to 7,000, starting with the games against Baltimore on June 24th, you're up to 80%. So now you're pushing eleven, twelve thousand 12,000 in the house, pretty fair home field advantage in a stadium that's seating about 15,000 now because they have about 1,000 seats taken away for their corporate tie-ins, their cardboard cutout programs, some television camera positions, knocked out some seats. So you're looking at, for the rest of the summer, at least 11,000, 12,000 most nights. And that's going to be heavy, heavy Blue Jays support there. And I I think certainly they wish they could have sold more tickets for the Yankees, but it was all based on state regulations at the time the tickets were sold. So that's where they're going with it right now. But, yeah, you're looking at around 7,000 for these three games and then just up, up, up from there.
1: I got to ask you, man, because you're pretty locked in on baseball right now. What's going on with the Yankees? I mean, that's my squad. Pat, they're not They're not good. playing well. They're,
2: they're, they're not
1: 3-7 the right now. Yeah, 3-7 and seven in their last 10. What's going on with them?
2: They're, they're, they're just, I mean, that game Sunday against Philadelphia, they got beat 7 to nothing. They were so flat and so lifeless in that game, it was really hard to believe. And you sit there and say to yourself, gee, they got an off day in Buffalo on Monday. Is something going to go down here? I don't know what, but... I mean, they, they just had nothing. You know, and, it, and some of it stems back to I really think there was some carryover to the blown saves from Chapman in Minnesota. He had a 5-3 lead, and it was single home run, single home run, game over. And that really carried into the weekend in Philadelphia. And then, you know, they tie up the game Friday night on LeMay, who's three-run homer in the ninth inning, and they lose in the 10th. They're 33-32, and 32, Pat. You look at it, they're in fourth place in the AL East. Forget about chasing the Rays. They're in fourth place. And you're one game over 500 through 65 games. And, you know, you get to the usual, oh, it's still early, this and that. But, you know, Aaron Boone was pretty chafed after the game on Sunday when he was asked, are these guys, you know, getting ready, just accepting of losing? And he's like, get the hell out of there with that. Well, right now this team has no life. And they're very up and down. They had a really good stretch. I think it was 22-9, and 23-9. and nine, And now they're back in the dumps again. And I don't know what the issue is. I mean, their rotation hasn't been great at times. The bats haven't been great. The base running's been terrible. They have a lot of flaws. And they may be, this could be who the Yankees are this year, believe it or not. It's 65 games in. It's, it's not late, but it's not early anymore either.
1: Is the seed hot for Aaron Boone?
2: You know, you would think it would be, but Under Steinbrenner, the hitting coach, Marcus Thames, would have probably been gone. Cashman would have been in the crosshairs. Aaron Boone certainly would have been. But these are the Hal Steinbrenner Yankees. They're much more reserved. They're much more calm. They're much more measured. You would think Aaron Boone would be in trouble here. But ultimately, I'm just never, in most cases, non-Ralph Kruger cases, I'm usually not a big fire-the-coach, fire-the-manager guy. I'm usually change-the-players. The players play, the manager, the coach doesn't, but boy, if, if you can't get more life out of your team than we saw Sunday from the Yankees, something is seriously wrong in that clubhouse.
1: One more baseball question. And then I kind of want to pivot a little bit to uh, the Buffalo Sabres. I've always wondered out loud, and I know I've talked about this a couple times on the podcast. And I, I want to ask you, do you think if ever given the opportunity that Buffalo could successfully sustain a major league franchise in Buffalo. Now everybody wants to come to the ballpark and see the New York Yankees and and the Boston Red Sox. But like like what about when Kansas City and Minnesota and like the Oakland A's and the Seattle, the world come to Buffalo? Do you think if given the opportunity that this is a market, this is a region where Major League Baseball could be successfully sustainable? Well, it could have been in the nineties.
2: It could have been in the 90s when the stadium was expanded. Obviously, you're throwing me a hypothetical, which can't happen because the stadium is too small. Um, sure. But I but I think there's a couple things here. I don't think this is a market that can support three professional teams. That's one thing. There's not enough corporate base. There's not enough you know, personal wealth, I don't think, to support three teams. And I think we're seeing a little bit. Partly the ticket prices are based on a small stadium, but, you know, that's what Major League Baseball costs. It, it's going to be 50 bucks and up to see the Baltimore Orioles. It's going to be 130 140 for a good seat to see the Yankees or Red Sox. Could we sustain that over 81 games a year? I don't know. I do think that people are spending the money on it this year on the theory that it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and they may be spending a lot of money on baseball tickets, especially if the Blue Jays are in the race and look good. And that could really impact the Buffalo Sabres, especially in the first half of the season. I think a lot of people will have spent their money on sports and you know their their side income on Blue Jays tickets that they won't spend on the Sabres early in the season. And I think that could have a, a big impact down the street. How's that for a little segue
1: for you? Obviously, that is a perfect segue. I, I was going to add this too. I, I agree with you for the record, 100%. I, I just don't think financially in this region... Three professional teams would be sustainable, but I hear a lot of t- a lot of talk on Twitter. In fact, I mean, I shouldn't even say I hear it because I'm the one who starts half the yeah. shit about basketball, about basketball or baseball. Just in my dream world, like what would be more sustainable, and more likely? I would say that baseball would have a better chance than the NBA, even though I personally, like my personal opinion is, I love the NBA more. I'd rather have an NBA team, but the NBA, you know, b- baseball doesn't run alongside the NHL really. Well, especially not in Buffalo, like when the Sabres never play past the first couple of days of April. So right. by the time opening day comes in Buffalo for a major league baseball team, the Sabres are done as opposed to Tampa and Boston and these other cities where, you know, there's hockey playoffs. That's why I would say of the two, do you agree with that? Do you think baseball would have a better chance of succeeding than basketball in this market?
2: I agree. There's a lot of baseball fans here of a lot of different teams and. You think back to those of us who were here in the 90s when Pilot Field was super hot and you really thought they might get the team. It was it was really going to be interesting to see what happened. Uh, But I think the biggest factor there was you didn't know what the ticket prices were going to be. And right now people are a little taken back. It's not 15 or 20 bucks like it is for a Bisons game. And, you know, it's a tough thing. Baseball in general is a tough thing to get support for. Without a large base of people, eighty-one home games, Pat. That's a lot of. That's a lot of games. A lot of commitment. You know, people have to break up those season tickets a lot. But it's good that we're seeing this this year. I thought I was one of the rare people seeing Major League Baseball in Buffalo last year because no fans were allowed. Never imagining it would come back, and now here's the chance for people to go. And let me tell you, the atmosphere at the ballpark was surreal last year. This is just incredible to see incredible to hear and feel when you're in the park it's really been something else so far
0: before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver,
2: it's carved in ice. What happens next
0: will last forever. The Stanley Cup final on ABC and ESPN
1: Plus begins Saturday. Mike, it almost breaks my heart to have you talking so uh, enthusiastically about going to a baseball, to a ballpark, and, and fans just being there and being happy and being and excited because. It is a segue in the Sabres talk. There's like, I don't know, man, there's a dozen different avenues. I could go down first, but I, you, you got to start with Jack. How did it get to this point with Jack Michael? It's just, uh, it's so hard for me to fathom that they could tank for a guy. Okay. I mean, it was obviously McDavid, but they knew they were getting one of these two guys. They, they, they clearly tanked. They get their guy. Um, He for the most part has been as good on the ice as realistically I think anyone could hope he was would be certainly not a bust, but this team just absolutely stinks. And the guy wants out in part because of the way the injury's been handled, but also by all accounts I've heard he's just he's miserable man and he's he's tired of losing. And now apparently the team wants him; they want to move on from him too. How did it get to this point with Jack Eichel, Mike? It, It really is hard
2: to believe. If you had told me in 2015 we'd be having this conversation in 2021, I think I would have laughed at you. I was Everybody knows I was one of the most ardent anti-tankers out there. Even I could admit it should have worked. Really, it should have worked. They got the guy. They didn't get McDavid, but they got a good player. We saw last year when he was healthy, he was one of the top 10 players in the NHL for most of last season. It should have worked. They built a bad team around him. They made bad decisions. They made bad trades. They made bad draft picks injuries happened you know I I was talking I did one article about all the things that went wrong and one of the things is people forget they improved 27 points in Jack's first year and Dan Biles was telling everybody the second year they were a 95 point team and what happened the last second last drill eight minutes for the end of the last practice for the openers when Jack blew out his ankle missed 21 games set the whole season back and what happened at the end of the season? The coach and GM got fired. That's a pretty important ankle sprain in the history of the Buffalo Sabres right there. And it really set a spiral here where Housley came in, had a terrible year. They had a good start. Then they flamed out that season. They bring in Kruger. Jack's had too many coaches, too many GMs, too many changes in philosophy, too many bad teammates, too many bad contracts. He's frustrated. I don't think anybody... I can't deny Jack Eichel's frustration. Now, this situation with the neck injury, I hate really, Pat. I hate backing teams on these situations. I really do. But how do you how do you not take the Buffalo Sabres side on this when their 10 million dollar a year player wants to have experimental surgery on his neck that's never been done on an NHL player and when all the rules in the CBA favor the team in this situation saying the player has to follow their medical advice. It's an ugly, ugly situation. And I think the one thing Jack's going to have to do, they're going to have to give another team permission to talk to Jack, review the medicals. And if they want to pawn this problem off, Jack's going to need to find a team that'll let him have that surgery. And I'm not so sure that's going to be as easy
1: as he thinks. Before the injury, Mike, all right, not... Let's not even take into account the injury, which pretty much means this past season. Let's take the first five before that. One of the criticisms I hear all the time, and this drives me nuts because people don't know, man. You're not, well, you are. But people aren't, they're not at the arena, okay? They're never in the locker room. They're not, they're not on the ice, but you, I'm sure you've heard a lot of it. A lot of the shit about Jack being said from being a, a horrible captain to, you know, just a guy with a bad attitude to a guy who I've heard that he's a, a cancer in the clubhouse. You know, all these kinds of things, and this team might even be better at this point with addition by subtraction. But from what you've gathered from your experience, you know, obviously this past year everything's changed with COVID, but previous to that, man, have you ever gotten the sense that hey, this guy might be a fantastic hockey player, or, you know, a really good talent, but he's he's a terrible leader or a bad captain or he's just he. He has issues with everybody in the in the clubhouse, that he's a coach killer, things like that, that you hear so many obviously angry and understandably angry fans, you know, complain about, but like, what what's your thoughts on that? Well, he was a
2: coach killer with Bilesma, but he wasn't alone there and they should not have allowed a team that had accomplished nothing to run Bilesma out, even though Bilesma had negatives, but yeah, Jack loved Kruger, Jack defended Housley, he said it's on us there was a day I asked right at the end, a terrible loss in Long Island. And I asked Jack about the coach or they quit on the coach. And he said, this isn't about Phil. This is about us. This is about the guys on the ice. And that said a lot to me in that moment. Um, is Jack a bad captain? Well, the standings would say probably, okay. You know what? Jack's a great captain if they're in the playoffs, right? Everything's better if they're in the playoffs. The The the, the popcorn and the pizza and the arena tastes better. The place isn't run down. It's all about the standings. Is Jack a bad captain? No, he's not a bad captain. The stories are out there. I get it. There's all kinds of stuff out there when you have a losing team. Well, I don't know what's going on this year, obviously, because we weren't in the locker room. But, you know, I just think that they've tried it for six years. It hasn't worked. And in this day and age, players get impatient. You forget Mario Lemieux had a similar run like this. Jerome McGinley had a similar run like this at the start of their careers. But you got the sense the Penguins were close. You got the sense the Calgary Flames were close. You don't get the sense the Buffalo Sabers are close to anything right now. You watch the playoffs; it looks like a different league, doesn't it? You watch Vegas and Colorado; you're like the Sabers were in that league with those teams, right? It's just hard to fathom right now. They need so much this whole argument of what they draft, they need everything. They need goaltending. They need defense. They need forwards. And if you're going to trade Jack Eichel and you're going to trade Sam Reinhardt, gee, who's going to score next year? So it's it's hard to fathom, Pat, that it's gotten to this point. I sympathize with Jack. I don't sympathize with Jack. He's got his money. You know, the one thing about Jack that he regrets, I'm sure, he signed his eight-year deal. And so did Connor McDavid. They signed their eight-year deal. They probably had confidence in themselves and the organization. Maybe they would have been better advised to take the Austin Matthews route and only sign a five-year deal, and then they could be seeing how things were going and not be locked in like they are. So now you're in a situation where do the Sabres try to start a bidding war? And what do they get? How many teams say to the Sabres, hey, he scored two goals and he needs neck surgery – you're not getting what you think you're getting for him. The Sabres are trying to trade the 36-goal Jack Eichel of 15 months ago. I'm not sure a lot of teams are going to go for that. I think it's going to be a real interesting dynamic to see how Kevin Adams can sell this one to other teams.
1: That's what I was going to ask you next. All indications, obviously, all reports that we read or buzz is that this is a foregone conclusion that they're going to move on from Jack Eichel. Do you feel like, this situation between the injury and everything else that it has truly escalated to the point where even if they try to get in a room and talk like there's no coming back and this is of indeed a foregone conclusion that he is going to get traded this summer likely
2: there may be no going back on it but again it's about return i'm not sure if they trade him this summer what you get for him do you have to tell him look you're under contract Come back. you're going to have to come back and play and reestablish some value if you want out of here. I, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be a very difficult problem to to see. But then again, you bring him back, reestablish your value. If he's miserable and you're addressing him every day, do you want that too? Probably not. He's going to have to deal with all the questions. When do you want out of here? Are you sick of being here? I mean, let's keep it honest here. Jack and Sam Reinhardt, neither one are very happy. They didn't have to deal with a lot of media last year just every so often appearing on a Zoom call. There weren't guys in the locker room constantly going up to them all the time. It was a pretty easy media year. And the the way that team played, it needed a pretty easy media year too, just for the record. Um, It's not going to be that way in the future, I wouldn't think. Like I said earlier, I think we're going to get back in the dressing room at some point. Do I think Jack Eichel is getting traded at some point this summer? Yes. But, boy... The epitaph of Jason Botterell's term of GM was the Ryan O'Reilly trade. If Kevin Adams makes a terrible trade for Jack Eichel, that's going to be on his GM tombstone too someday. I don't think he can ever win the Jack Eichel trade, but he can't have a terrible deal. And I think that's what he has to avoid. And it, it's going to be tough.
1: I can't, I can't imagine what it will be like if he gets ends up with a, with a bad return, if he ultimately has no choice but to, but the deal, Jack, and yeah, man, I just I, I just can't fathom. I, I, I envision us, even a year ago, like I said, when you're on this podcast, I was like, all right, man, maybe you know, next offseason we'll talk and the Sabres were disappointing again, but i just not at a point where it came to this. Well, you
2: played the because, clip. Because,
1: again, I would have guessed,
2: yeah. You put the clip out there, and what was I saying in the clip? Yeah, it's dumb. The- I must have said it's dumb like three times about trading Jack. Like, what are you going to do? How are you going to do it, Pat? And you're like well, we better not get Thompson and Sabotka and all these guys back. And here we are. How how is this possible? And, you know, did you ever imagine this team would finish in 31st place this year? That's how it's possible. That's why Jack Eichel wants out. And they have so much to blame here. It starts with ownership and the team president and goes down to coaches. And, oh, by the way, the players really are at fault. A lot of players are pretty bad under Kruger. Now, maybe Kruger, we know he Was a problem. But make a save once in a while, Carter Hutton. Make a save once in a while, Linus Allmark, who was pretty good most of the time. Jonas Johansson was terrible. They couldn't use him. Allmark the biggest issue with Allmark is he can't stay healthy. When he's out there, he's pretty good. Um, power play was terrible. Penalty kill. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable to me that this this happened. (laughs) to this level I, it's this year.
1: How, how could this Sometimes you just got to laugh, Mike, man. You got to laugh. You know. You...
2: <laughs> and people forget they were not in bad shape. And I'll give them this. They weren't in bad shape when the COVID outbreak hit. They were, what were they, like 4-4-2 four, four or something? The bottom hadn't fallen out yet. And they came back off the COVID and the bottom fell out within like three weeks. Kruger should have been fired after that double shutout in February from Philadelphia. They fired Kruger about three weeks later than I would have.
1: <laughs> the reason why I'm laughing is because I think back to, I don't know what it was a decade or so ago when Lindy pretty much you coached the team. Now, now the saying from Mike is make a save. <laughs> that's That's like yeah. that. That's your, you're saying now Cause you're, I mean, you're hundred percent, right. Make a save. You know, I'll tell you this, man. So when it comes to tank versus anti tank it was so fierce and contested on either side at the time. And it was like, I don't know, like say Michael Jackson versus Prince or or Pepsi versus Coca-Cola, or McDonald's Burger King, whatever you want. There was no true winner, I don't think, for the most part. But in this case, man, the tank did not work, period. You're right. It should have worked. But there ain't even a debate no more. Like, was it worth tanking? Some people would try to say yes, maybe up until this past season. There's nobody on earth with a straight face that could ever say that it was the smart thing to do. It was the right thing to do, and it was worth taking for. No, right? I, but again, I mean, nobody
2: could have envisioned this kind of scenario that it went this badly, and it went that badly because of their own decisions after the tank. Again, as much of an anti-taker as I am, you know, Darcy Regeer said there was going to be suffering. I don't think he intended it to be eight years after he said that that they were still suffering, but. It was supposed to be a couple of years. The New York Rangers—they sent a letter to their ticket holders. There was going to be a step back, and New York Rangers are in pretty good shape right now. Just a couple of years after sending that letter to their season ticket holders, they look pretty interesting going forward. Here, that's where the Sabers should have been, and they—they just—it just didn't work. Tim Murray wanted to accelerate, and I get that, but he accelerated. He got Ryan O'Reilly, but Evander Kane was probably the wrong guy, and Robin Leonard. It just was the wrong time in Robin Leonard's life, as we learned afterward, because Tim Murray had the right idea. We've seen, since Robin Leonard was in Long Island and Chicago and Vegas, that was the goalie Tim Murray intended to acquire, and he really only saw that for about one year in Buffalo. Um, it just didn't work, and they they tore the organization down to the studs, and they they struggled impossibly trying to build it back up, and here you are, and you, you look at it. And you say to yourself, how did they get better? Okay, well, I got the number one pick in the draft. Well, they got the number one pick in the draft in a year where it's not any great shakes. I mean, I'm not waving the Owen Power flag here. I know the kid looked good in the World Championships, which people, by the way, should remember who was on the rosters of the World Championships. You know, that wasn't an A-level tournament of players. He played great, the part I saw. But I've written they need goals. They're probably going to take Owen Power now based on the World Championships and people saying he's the best player. But what's that going to do for them? They already drafted Rasmus Dahlin. I mean, I don't know how they get better. I I don't see it. You know, you go back in the division. Okay, let's go back in the old division. Well, now Florida's pretty good. They got Joel Quenville as the coach. Detroit's getting better. Ottawa's getting better. The Habs are in the final four. The Leafs are the Leafs. The Bruins, I, I mean, it's... It's a nightmare, Pat. It really is.
0: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
1: We've talked about this before on the show. As a sports journalist, you're not a fan. It's almost better to cover a team if they're going to be stinky than if they are, they're going to be meddling around that 500 mark. Do you still feel that way? Or have you watched enough shitty hockey with the Sabres over the last handful of years or so again that you're just tired of watching this brand of hockey and you want to see them improve just so, you know, you don't want to, you like to say that you bang your head on the desk. Well, you know, you're probably doing that. Watching this team play, like, are you at the point where it's still professionally sometimes even better to cover a shitty team than it is a, a, a okay team? Or oh, yeah. would you like to see them improve just for the sake of watching a better brand of hockey, eight, 80 games or whatever, you know, amount of games you cover per year.
2: It's still optimal to cover a Stanley Cup level team or a terrible team. But in this particular case, I would like to see them improve simply because there would be a lot of stories in the Sabres suddenly becoming an 80 or 85 point team. And these fans have gone through enough. Really, Pat, think about it. These fans have gone through enough. Can you yeah. s- imagine these people who spend their money and live and die by this team and watch every road game on TV from Colorado that starts at 930 at night dealing with this for another two, three, four years? It's it's just hard to believe that it could go on much longer. They're going to set the record next year for being out of the playoffs. So, how, Do you envision any scenario where they make the playoffs next season? I can't. So that would be 11 years. That would be the nope. all-time NHL record. Um, I would like to see some improvement here for the fans. They would be in a better mood. They would see, They would feel some hope, and there would be better stories out of it. At some point, we've written all the stories about how terrible the organization is, and they, they're, we're finding new ways to write it because they're doing new things. Who would have ever thought they'd finish 31st this year, that Kevin Adams would have to fire a coach in his first year? But uh, it, it's really become an organization that's very difficult to cover because it's hard to believe any professional organization can be this bad.
1: I'll tell you what I hit my personal rock bottom with this organization as a fan this past season. I don't remember the dates exactly, but I remember the games it was over the weekend. And again, granted I'm down here in Florida, mind you. So it's never shitty out the weather. You know what I mean? There's always things going on. In fact, there's more stuff that goes on in the winter because it's not as hot. Anyway, it was a weekend, tons of stuff going on. They played back-to-back weekend afternoon matinees against the Philadelphia Flyers. And like a complete and total idiot, I stayed home Saturday and Sunday instead of going out and doing fun stuff. And I watched them play literally an entire weekend where they didn't score a goal. They got shut out both games. They looked completely lifeless. I'm not going to go as far to say they didn't try to win, but they looked, it was just, there was no effort out there. It just... It was so blatantly obvious. And I remember saying to myself, I truly legitimately hate this hockey team and this organization right now. And that was this past year, that Philly weekend. It was horrible, man. And that's when they should have fired Kruger. Now I will say this. This is another point. We weren't
2: in the locker room. I think everyone in hockey underestimates the impact of the COVID protocols. Guys were literally miserable. You know, the mental health aspect of this season was really unspoken. Eric Stahl, you could tell, was miserable. His wife and kids were back in Minnesota. He's sitting in a hotel room in Buffalo every day. Um, I don't think you can underestimate that. I think the impact of COVID on this team was tremendous. I think guys were not feeling well. Guys were not 100%. Ristolainen never really was the same player. Ralph Kruger, when he came back from COVID, you could tell in his Zoom interviews he was forgetful at times. He was saying one thing one day and a different thing the next day. And Ralph Kruger had never been like that in our year plus of dealing with him until after the COVID situation. So there were a lot of things going on in this organization behind the scenes, and you just could never talk to anybody on the side to really get a handle on it. We weren't in the room, um, but yeah, there were just games. the The, the Philadelphia weekend was terrible, and. It's just – it was funny when they started selling tickets. You're like, who's going to you know, buy a ticket to see this team and pay for a COVID test? And then it came out that they, they sold 300 tickets for that first night against the Boston Bruins. But uh, just, it, it's Jesus, just –
1: It's so embarrassing.
2: Yeah, I, and I don't blame fans. I mean, I just don't get it. I, I don't understand. If you say to me, what is the Buffalo Sabres plan? I mean, you look at it, okay, they're going to draft whoever they draft number one. They've got Darlene and Cousins and Middlestat, and they'll have Jack Quinn, and I suppose ostensibly that's who they're going to build their team around. But the plan is still tough to see. It really is.
1: You So you're under the assumption, and, we, and we'll find out if it really actually happens, but that Jack Eichel's going to get traded. If that happens, do you think they should trade Sam Reinhardt as well? Because to me it seems like, I mean, we both agree there's pretty much – no realistic path that this is going to become a playoff team next year. And this is Sam's last year with the team. He's a restricted free agent. So if he comes back for one more year, whatever have you, if they bring him back on a one-year deal, if it, I don't see him wanting to be here. I don't see the Sabres wanting to keep him. if It's not going to be a long-term deal. So I guess my question for you is based on what you saw last year, because he did have a good year. He scored, like 25 goals? He showed he could play center. If you're Kevin Adams right now, and you've resigned yourself to the fact that Jack's going to be gone one way or the other, do you think keeping Sam right out and trying to give him big money, sign him the long-term deal, is that something in the cards? Is that something you think they should do? Or do you think they should move on from him too?
2: I think Sam is going to want to move on if they're trading Jack. I don't think Sam's going to want to stay without Jack. No, yeah. it doesn't, Sam's not going to play with Jack wherever they end up going, but I don't think Sam's going to want to stick around. And He even said in his postseason Zoom call with us, you know, I'm going to be 26 He he made it pretty clear without saying it. It seemed to me, reading the tea leaves there, he wanted out. Uh, I think that Sam has yet to get paid here. They haven't given Sam a long-term contract. And I think Sam knows that they're going to be probably heading down that road with Darlene at some point soon and probably heading down that road with Cousins at some point soon. And he's 26, and I could see absolutely Jack and Sam – and even risk the line in getting traded in this offseason. And it's like I said to you, okay, well, trade Jack and Sam, who's going to score? I mean, do you suddenly think Cousins and Middlestad are going to score 25 goals next year? I don't, I don't know about that. Um, and if their number one pick is going to be Owen Power, if it turns out to be that way, that's he's not a forward. He's not a center. Um, not a great year to have the number one overall pick where you could get a lock stock offensive player in here. But yeah, you could be looking and you'll have a lot of cap space. Good luck to you finding guys to want to come here right now, but imagine your cap without Jack and Sam and Ristolainen. Um tough tough times and you better figure out a way to re-sign Linus Olmark too, or you don't have a goalie. It's depressing, Pat. Look look at how happy we were talking about baseball. Look at how happy baseball made us. <laughs>
1: It is. It's night and day, man. What a difference! I, I mean, I was going to ask you about Ristolainen, but I feel like that kind of goes without saying. If they're if they're going to get rid of Jack and probably Sam too, I would think they're actively looking to to try to move on from Ristolainen as well, right?
2: And I think there's a, a market for him. I think a lot of teams like him and say that Buffalo has misused him. To me, Ristolainen would be a terrific second-pair defenseman on a winning team playing 20 to 21 minutes a night. Not a first-pair guy playing 25 to 28 like they keep wanting to do here. I really think Ristolainen will be the guy they trade, and you will say, geez, I can't believe a trade. Look how good he's playing. Well, he's going to play a different role on a different team, and I think he'll thrive. And I, I really think that's a guy a lot of teams have to have their eye on as somebody who could really help them in a, a second-pair role.
1: Last question. Then I'll let you go, Mike. Uh, all right. Head coach, man. I mean, so it looks like Sam and Jack very likely are, are going to be gone. And I, I you mentioned Kevin Adams in his press conference, not all that long ago. And he, I mean, he, I don't know. I think three or four different times he made it a point to say, you know, guys that want to be here and it doesn't sound like Jack. And it definitely doesn't sound like Sam. That said, if both guys are gone, which is like, or maybe even if they're not, I don't know. Like, do you think Ronaldo should be the pick to be head coach going forward or? Do you think it should be one of these outsider guys that, you know, more and more are, are starting to be linked to Buffalo? Nah, uh, they, you know, there's at least rumored to be interested in several guys. Like what is your thought process right now? And what do you think the Sabres coach, uh, the search ultimately is going to lead to? I
2: wrote it in April. I have no reason to change my mind. They should name Don Granato the coach. They already should have. I understand why they haven't. They want Kevin Adams to go out and interview people quote unquote Want him to talk to other people, to meet people maybe he hasn't met before. And you get intel on your team. You go interview people, you get intel on your team, what they think. That's that's valuable for a first-year GM to have. But I think ultimately this is going to spin back and Don Granado is going to be named the coach. And I think he should be named the coach. We saw how much better that team was under him than under Kruger. We saw how Middlestad improved and Dowling improved. How, how well Cousins played, Reinhardt certainly played very well. A lot of guys got better. Even Kyle Pozzo was tremendously better. Look at the numbers under Granado than he was under Kruger. Granado made impacts with a lot of these guys. Um, I think that was significant enough for him to get the job, and it's not like he's Ron Ralston that everyone wants to compare him to. Go look at Don Granado's resume. Aside from the fact that he was an NHL assistant under Joel Quenville, he won in the AHL. He was coach of the year. He won championships in USHL, and he, he's been a, a coach for a long time. And the family pedigree, his sister now is scouting for Seattle, and his brother-in-law is Ray Ferraro, and his brother Tony is the coach of Wisconsin. I think absolutely Don Granado should be the coach and will be the coach, and a lot of these interviews are just for show and gathering of intel. And it's a little – Annoying. It's gonna be a bad optic when they go hire Don Granada. Well, they decided to keep the guy they couldn't get. No, that this is the guy they've wanted all along. They're doing the interview process for their own internal workings, and I get it. But Granada's gonna be the coach.
1: I hope so. I think he'd be a good pick for this team and where they're where they're headed. Based on what I saw, the improvement between him and Kruger with a lot of these players, Dali and Yoki Haro just look so much better defensively after uh, Kruger was gone. I, I don't know. My my one take on Mike and on all on all this player movement and stuff is I've resigned myself. I don't like that Jack Eichel is going to get traded. I've always hoped that something could get worked out, but I've now, I've resigned myself to the fact that it's ultimately going to happen. I really hope they can find a way to, to. Uh, they have to convince first and foremost, they'd have to convince Sam Reinhardt that he, that, to want to stay. I, I agree with you hundred percent. I don't think he wants to be here anymore. And I don't blame him. Just like I don't blame Jack. All this losing. But if they can find a way to keep him, maybe it accelerates the process at least a little bit, because now you're not asking Dylan Cousins or Casey Middlestadt to be your number one center.
2: That was an impressive season. That was an impressive season, yeah. Pat, that Sam Reinhardt put together. He, he showed people that he could score and he could produce without Jack on the ice. And he showed people that he could play center when mo- multiple coaches said he wasn't a center. So that was a huge step up season for Sam Reinhardt, and he's going to get paid by somebody for that. And that's something that he probably deserves based on that, putting together that kind of season for that terrible team.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, I apologize. for making you spend like a good half hour talking about this dumpster (laughs) fire of a team. When people are listening to this again, this is, we're taping this later on Monday. This is dropping Tuesday. So Mike will be at Salem field. Yankees, Blue Jays, that sounds a lot more fun than having to talk Buffalo Sabers, man. Anyway, give Mike a follow on Twitter, at by Mike Harrington. Of course, support the Buffalo News. I say that all the time, man. Local journalism, do your thing, everyone out there. Mike, thanks for doing the podcast, man. And you know I appreciate you. And uh, I always love this banner with you. You're an honest dude, man. And you're not afraid to, to, to sound off on what you're thinking. And I always respect that about you. So thanks so much, buddy. I appreciate you.
2: Pat, I appreciate that very much. And, yeah, it's a wild month coming up, great baseball. And, you know, this Sabre stuff is going to be fascinating, the draft, the expansion draft, the trades, the coach. And for a team that never wins and never gets to the playoffs, they're certainly never dull. All
1: right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Very big thank you one more time. My good buddy Mike Harrington, the Buffalo News Make sure you give Mike a follow on Twitter at by Mike Harrington. Be nice to him or he'll block you. Literally, he'll block you. Seriously, (laughs) I love Mike, man. And of course, look, support local journalism. We say it all the time on this podcast, man. Subscribe to the Buffalo News. If you haven't done that already, do it. It's very, very important that you do. Anyway, thank you very much, Mike. Guys, girls, if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do that right now. Subscribe, rate, and review it. Literally takes about fifteen to twenty seconds to do, and I can't tell you enough how help how much it helps me continue to grow this little podcast of ours. So do that. Uh, give me a follow on Twitter at Padman tweets. I'm um, constantly on Twitter, podcasting updates, promos, upcoming guests, uh, sports talk. Pop culture, banter with fans. I love, love, love that shit. I'm always on Twitter. At Pamoran Tweets. Thank you so, so much for listening. I say it all the time, man. I really, truly mean it. When you give up time from your day or from your night, 15, 30, 45 minutes, whatever it may be, and you're locked in and listening to this show, there's so many great ones out there. I'm grateful and humble beyond words for all of you. So thank you very, very much. Have a good one. Tell you what, we're coming back with a brand new episode. In fact, tomorrow, a bonus episode, a Wednesday episode. Talk Buffalo podcast. I'm going to have Aaron Quinn from Cover One Buffalo. We're going to talk plenty of Buffalo Bills. So stay tuned for that. And I'll talk to you tomorrow.